Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Great to be with you. Uh, We are in the book of Matthew, so we're going to continue there in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, if you want to open up in your Bibles. If you don't bring your Bible to church, that's okay, but it's probably helpful uh, to have it with you. So maybe, you know, if you need a Bible, we're happy to give you one at the book table. If you don't have one, we'll just give it to you as as a gift. If you can get your hands on one, bring it when you come to church. Helps on a day like today. We're going to read a whole lot of verses for our text, so it just helps you to follow along in the teachings. And it's the wonderful Word of God, so it's good to have it with you. So we are in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at a large passage, uh, verses 5 through 31. Uh, I'll just tell you right now, oh gosh, it's a, I don't know, it complicates tonight. It's a tough passage to to understand some components of it, to teach it, and to live it out. I, I don't have time, we don't have time to cover all of it, so you'll probably be left with more questions than answers at the end of this. So I'm always at the main doors after service saying goodbye to everybody. So if you ever have questions, feel free to come ask me. And I probably don't know the answer, but I I will do my best or direct you to some resources. So uh, again, we'll just take a broad stroke of the text. The title is What Sentness Looks Like. I made up that word. It's my very own word. What Sentness Looks Like. Big passage to read here. Let's start reading together in Matthew 10. I'm reading and teaching from the NIV. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings and witnesses as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Students not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the students to be like their teachers and the servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Bilzebul, the devil, how much more the members of his household? So don't be afraid of them. 
For there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim on the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would that final statement of truth we just read sink into our hearts and our minds and our lives? We are worth more than many sparrows to you. Thank you, God, that we're precious to you. In spite of us, who knows why, you love us with a mad, unending, pursuing, redeeming, healing, forgiving love. Thank you, God. You care for us. And our lives count to you. Thank you, God, that our lives count. And you want us to live for your purposes and your glory and not our own. We would confess that our own glory and our own purposes are very important to us. But your word is telling us that your glory and your kingdom, your glory and your kingdom are to be sought first. So give us grace today, Lord. You know us, selfish little silly people, myself, We need grace to hear what you're saying and to endeavor by the power of the Holy Spirit to live it. Help us overcome those things that are uh, scaring us and the ways that we're self-absorbed and help us to boldly and faithfully live for your glory and your purposes in the world. Please, God, help me now to teach and preach in a way that's faithful to you and fruitful for us. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was a, a mouthful of a text, a whole lot of stuff there. And I, I don't know about you, but when I read that text, for the most part, I feel a little bit far from it. Or, or maybe said differently, it feels fairly removed from me. That is, the stuff that's going on there and what I'm being called to think about are, are pretty different than my daily experiences. So I feel a little like, oh, wow, that's kind of an, an out there text. It feels different from my daily experiences. And some of it is very different in the sense that it was specific and unique to that moment in history with those 12 guys on that little mission trip that Jesus was sending them out on. But but other parts of it, even though they may be difficult, are are general and true at all times. and, and, And there's something there for us to apply, to understand. These things may be rare in our in our uh context, excuse me. And yet meaningful if we're endeavoring to follow Jesus in life and in mission. He starts out in verse 5 there by telling them not to go to the Gentiles, right, non-Jews, but to just go after the lost sheep of Israel. So there's an example of something that was specific to that particular mission trip, right? Later on, Jesus would expand this in the Great Commission and say, go unto all the nations, So that was a specific time for their little practice mission trip. They're getting to practice. 
but also it was consonant with what God had done through Israel and was doing. The story of God is the story of Israel. The story of Israel is the story of God, that God, to portray his redemptive purposes in the world, created and formed and called the people Israel. And through Israel, he would reveal himself to the world. That's why Jesus came to Israel as a Jewish Messiah. So it made sense to them. Oh, this is the story of Israel continued. They, they got that. Let's, let's go to Israel. Later on, Jesus would say to them, I send you to all the nations, and that would be expanded. But that moment was specific to that moment. Verses 7 and 8 are a bit more general if you look at them again. Well, not more general, very, very general. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Now that's always true for God's mission at all times in our involvement in it. I just want to speak to you a couple things about that. Number one, it involves both proclamation and demonstration. Notice he told them to go proclaim the message that the kingdom has come near. That is the king, Jesus, has come to earth to claim his kingdom and save people from the penalty of their sins to bring them into the kingdom, to live out the kingdom, right? They were to proclaim that message, but they were also to demonstrate that message. In these signs and wonders, I mean, he, he's telling them to heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead and see that the lepers are cleansed. The very same stuff that Jesus has been doing through the book of Matthew, they're now going to do. That's pretty cool. They're going to do Jesus' stuff, both the proclamation, preaching, and demonstration, doing. And those two go hand in hand. And I call them demonstrations because they also reveal the kingdom. The message is proclaimed and then it's demonstrated. So what like a resurrection demonstrates is this. Jesus has defeated death. Death no longer has the final word, be risen. Right? So when, when Jesus rose people from the dead, it was a demonstration of the qualities of the kingdom. When somebody was healed from a disease, it was a demonstration of the qualities of kingdom that the, the effects of sin in the world would one day fully and finally be reversed. Death and sickness do not have the final word. When demons were expelled, it was a sign of the kingdom that the true king of kings had come and Satan did not rule. There was one who was greater than Satan and his demons. And so they were expelled in the name of Jesus. And this is the very stuff that we're called to do in our sentness. Look at my made up word, sentness. What does it mean to be sent into the world in the name of Jesus? To say the things Jesus said and do the things Jesus did. Now, this is where the text feels a little bit removed. Because I've never seen anybody raised from the dead in my life, in my area. I've prayed fervently to see that. I've, I've never seen that. I pray for people to get healed all the time. I've seen it a few times. Not nearly enough in my mind. I have cast out lots of demons, and that's cool. But, but some of those things are like, why does that? I mean, maybe that was just at this time. There's no indication in Scripture that those sorts of miraculous things were something that would only happen then and then cease. This is the general work of the kingdom of God. And here's what I don't want us to do. Because maybe we haven't witnessed it, I don't want us to give up on it. I mean, this is what the Bible says. So let's seek resurrections from the dead. Let's pray for people to be healed. 
Let's pray for people to be delivered. And let's proclaim boldly the message of the kingdom. I, I, I don't want our lives to be formed by our experience, but rather by God's word. We don't walk by sight, but by faith. I want to see more of this stuff in my world, in our world, in our community, in our church. So let's let the text call us higher. Let's not settle and say, oh, resurrections and healings. I don't know. Let's say resurrections and healings and deliverance. Let's go after it as God's people. We are also the sent ones like the disciples. Let's ask God for more of those things. You hear what I'm saying? I don't want to give up on that stuff. I want to see God do great and glorious things because the king has come. And the great reversal has begun. But we also want to remember other signs of the kingdom that are just as relevant and powerful. Things like mercy. The king is merciful. So when we are merciful to people, it's a, it's a sign of the kingdom. Things like sacrificial service. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for others. So anytime we serve self-sacrificially, that also is a sign of the kingdom. A picture of what the king looks like. Radical generosity. We're usually oriented toward greed, but God has been generous with us in forgiveness and in redemption and in provision. So when we live generously, we're displaying, demonstrating the kingdom that we proclaim. When we're not generous, when we're not merciful, when we're not self-sacrificial, then our lives are in dissonance with, incongruent to, not consonant with the kingdom that we proclaim. So now what he's going to do for them in this is he's going to teach them to live in a more dependent way upon God. You, you, you probably notice verse 9. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. The worker's worth his keep. You probably notice that one. Because it's, it's a weird thing. Again, it feels a little bit removed. Like, wait, you're sending us on this journey. It's going to be a long journey. We're going to go all these different places. And you're telling us, don't take any money. Don't take extra shoes or shirt. So you're not going to need a duffel bag. Don't even take a duffel bag. He's calling them to live in a way that they have never lived with radical dependence upon God. Now that is both specific and general. It was specific to that mission trip. It's not that anytime we're living life on mission right here, Starbucks at the beach or to the nations, wherever, that we're supposed to say, I'm just going to go with nothing. There's a place for planning. There's a place for provision. That's a normal way that God works. But there are also places and spaces in our life where we are called to trust God in sort of an extreme measure. And he just wanted them to learn that. He wanted them to learn the gift of divine provision. They hadn't had the opportunity to learn that before. And he couches it in the sense of workers. Remember what he's calling them to become is workers here. He says, workers are worth their wages. So because you're working for me, I'm going to provide for you. Trust that. We don't often trust that. We, We don't often trust that as evidenced by the fact that it's so hard for us just to tithe, just just 10%, I'll give to God, oh gosh, oh no. And in lots of other ways, much more difficult ways. It can be hard to trust God with our kids, trust God with our marriages, trust God with the sick spouse. 
But what God is doing in the text and what he does in our lives is he invites us into places and spaces of trust. And they're going to look extreme. They're going to look like, what do you mean don't take money with me? What do you mean no extra shirt, no extra shoes? And it'll be different. It won't necessarily be that. But there's these times. Maybe it hasn't been so much of an invitation to you. Maybe that's been forced on you in your life. Where it seems like everything else kind of falls by the wayside and there are no other options and there's no other hope than to trust God. Anybody ever been there? Those are hard times. Those are good times. It's time where we discover when we press into that more of the love of God, the power of God, the presence of God, God's care for us. They would experience that in a brand new way as they trusted God for the, uh, to provide for them on this trip. Now, he's calling them to this place of trust, and then he'll also then call them to this place of intentionality. I want you to listen to this. He's calling them to look for open doors. Remember in verses 11 and 15, he's like, when you go to a town, look for a house that is worthy, and then go and stay there. And if that's not the place, then just move on. So what he's calling them to do is live life from a place of intentionality. There's some weird phrases there that we don't maybe understand at this moment. We'll leave that aside, like who's worthy and give it your blessing. And if they say no, take it back. I I don't know all about that. I know about this. He's saying, I'm sending you out to these little towns. When you show up, look for a place that is an open door to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom a place from which you can do this ministry, this mission, a place from which you can live out the stuff that I'm calling you to. He's telling them to look for open doors. Now, that would have been an odd experience, right? They would go to this town, maybe they haven't been before, and they've been sent out on this mission. They're like, okay, we're here to proclaim the kingdom and raise some dead folks and heal some lepers and pray for some people and all this stuff. And so uh, where do we start? And they're supposed to look for this house that represents an open door for them to do the work of God. How do they, do they go street by street? Are they like, well, okay, here's the deal. Let's start over on Arbol Verde, and then we'll go over by Vallecito, and then we'll go down by the beach, Fourth Beach, maybe. So is that what they're doing? I don't, I don't know what they're doing. And that's the point. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. Their eyes were being opened to the fact that they were without provision unless God provided. And they needed God to open doors for them. This is one time in their life where it wasn't about their resource. It wasn't about what they could work. It was about showing up and trusting God and believing in their lives and for the lives around them that God had a plan, that God was working a purpose and that they were a part of, of that purpose. They were to be intentional in looking for open doors. And in doing that, they would begin to transition from a life of watching to a life of working. All because of this intentionality. They had been watching Jesus do these very things. Now they're going to be working with Jesus in doing these very things. And that gap is bridged, last week we talked about in prayer, but also in intentionality. Here's what I'm calling us to. Calling us to what the text is calling us to. 
to live in a way in light of our sentness in God's kingdom and the stuff of his kingdom in an intentional manner. To think differently about stuff and our attachments to it and about the world around us and the needs that are in it. Because in the same way that the disciples were sent, we are a sent people. If you're a Christian, you're a sent person. That means that you are to live out your sentness by Jesus everywhere that you are, whenever you are there. At some point in your life, it might be the other side of the world amongst a people group who's never heard. And at some point in your life, it might be right where you are right now. as who you are in the midst of what you do, in the context of who you know, with all of your baggage and everything else. We are called to live out sentness. That is to say, we are called to say the things and do the things that Jesus said and did. Right? Proclamation and demonstration. This is a high call. This isn't easy. This is a high call. But so often for Christians, the call of God passes us by because we don't fully lay hold of our sentness. We too are a sent people. Called to think differently about provision and needs in the world. So in light of that, as I've thought about this text this week in my life, I've, I've found it really profound that Jesus calls him not to worry about preparations and provisions. Because I just find that much of my life is preparing and providing for myself. Much of my life is centered around the things that I want to organize and do for my own good and my own pleasure and the things that I need to work hard to provide for that stuff. I mean, that's, that's kind of normal life. Does anybody else have those kind of thoughts? Yep. Okay. Much of my life is oriented around my own preparations and provisions for my own purposes. And again, Jesus is saying, let, 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 let's think differently for a moment. Here's how that's kind of freed me this week. Uh, my wife and I are doing an addition on our house. We're adding a a little living room in our house. And I have found that I spend more time thinking about what the paint will look like and what the trim will look like and how the windows are going to function than I do the needs of my community around me. I honestly do. And you know how like construction projects go, right? They always take like way longer than you expect. This thing is going forever. So I'm realizing that this is a long time that I've been kind of obsessing about this thing more than I am about this community in which I live and the needs here. And I'm being honest with you, I, I, I honestly do that. And I think about it so much and it annoys me and it worries me and it gets me excited and we're putting all of our money into it. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what if I lived for the kingdom like that? I'm a little bit convicted by that. So it's interesting to me that Jesus is saying, look, think differently about preparation and provisions. And then it it, it frees me to say, gosh, I don't always have to be like building for my kingdom and my glory. What if I just obeyed Jesus and lived in the moment and trusted him and his plan and provision? And truthfully, life is a, a balance, right, of those things. 
But I, think, I find that if we spend too much time with our own plans and preparations, we can get a little bit paralyzed in the calling of our sentness. I think this is what holds me back from a lot of things that are involved in sentness is because I'm just so absorbed by my, all, my own things. So then I want to ask us this question. What if God at some point in your life calls you to sacrifice radically for his purposes? What if God at some point in your life calls you to give up your dreams for his dreams? What if God at some point in your life calls you to give up what is your normal provision and plans to give attention to allowing him to provide and stepping into his plan? What if God does that for you? You know what? God does that. I think we just sometimes miss it because we're so like myopically focused. Maybe it's just me myopically focused on my own gig and building my own stuff. I think that sometimes causes me to miss God's gig and the building of God's kingdom. Which brings us back to the point of intentionality. Intentionality is looking for open doors that are around us. Because here's what we believe about God, okay? Here's what we believe about God, among other things. God is a missionary God. That means that God in his love goes out from himself to the world seeking to save. Because the world is guilty of and broken by sin. God is a missionary of God. This is exemplified beautifully in the incarnation of Jesus. When God draped himself in humanity and came to earth, and Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. He's a missionary God who's always seeking. He's a working God who's always working. And we believe that God is, God is high and exalted and other and there, but we also believe because Scripture tells us that God is imminent or present and working within our lives. So if God is a missionary God who's always seeking to save people and he's present and working in our lives, that means that God is up to something around us. God is up to something. In the brokenness of my family, God is up to something. In the things happening in my community, God is up to something. In the subculture that I run with and the people that I hang with and really care about, God is up to something. God is always at work by his spirit around us. And sometimes what it takes to see that is just intentionality, right? They just showed up to a town and they're like, I imagine they were just saying, I, Peter, what should we do? I, let, I, I don't know. Jesus, what, what, what is this open door? What is this house you want? What, what, what? See, that's the right place to be. Jesus, what are you doing? What do you want to do? Intentionality. I find that I, there's a lot of days that I wake up and I go to bed and I never ask Jesus during that day, what are you up to around me that I should give attention to? So intentionality is doing that. And as we learned last week, intentionality begins with prayer. Remember we read that at the end of chapter 9 last week? That Jesus said, listen, the harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of people that are going to get saved, that are going to have mercy and grace and love extended to them. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We identified that the problem in our world is not that people aren't willing to become Christians, it's that Christians aren't willing to become workers. And so Jesus said to them, pray that workers would be sent into the harvest. Do you remember that? Who was here last week and remembers that? Raise your hand. Pray that workers would be sent into the harvest. 
the way that they were invited and we are invited to wade into the waters of God's work is through prayer. The first step of intentionality is through prayer. And so last week, at the end of the uh, sermon, we prayed together. You remember that? Tell me you remember that. Okay, we prayed together. I have been astounded in the little moments where and in which my life was different this week because of that prayer. So remember, I asked you to pray for, or I, I, I solicited us together to pray for either like an individual or a group of people or a subculture or a whole nation and people group. Just get someone in your mind that you think needs God working in their midst, right? The harvest is plentiful. And just pray that God would send workers. Remember, we said, don't worry about you doing anything. Just pray intentionally. God, send workers to them. So I prayed for surfers. That's the subculture that I care about most. I don't know. Then I'm in. <laughs> no offense, non-surfers. Is anybody surprised I was praying for surfers? I prayed a really simple prayer that I honestly haven't prayed in a long time. I used to pray a lot more. God, send workers. I love my brothers and sisters that surf, that I surf with. I wish they could know the creator that made these beautiful waves, that gave them this glorious expression. God, send workers to them. So, prayed that that week. Found myself praying that a little bit during the week as well. And lo and behold, this week, the first winter swell arrived on our coast. (laughs) Coincidence? I think not. (laughs) I think not. But that's not a big deal. So that begin to unfold some opportunities. So I, I'm, I'm, I literally prayed this prayer just a couple times. And that's all it was. God, send workers to surfers. And then I had to go to this surf event this week. Most of you know that when I'm not doing this and being the pastor guy, I'm in the surf industry and I make surfboards. So I had to go to this event this week. And uh, I knew that there would be a guy there that really, really, really doesn't like me. I know this guy. I know who he is. He's never liked me. Uh, We've known each other for years. He likes me less now than he ever has before. (laughs) I don't blame him. So I'm I'm going to this event. I'm I'm flying to this thing that I I had to attend. And I'm I'm praying because I'm like, I'm on this plane and I'm going. So I'm thinking, gosh, Lord, what are your purposes in this thing? And I, I just started to pray that prayer that we talked about last week. Lord, I pray that you just send people to this surf event. It was like this party, movie premiere thing, like industry thing. Send people there as your workers. So I was praying. I wasn't thinking about being the worker. Didn't really want to be the worker. I just like, Lord, do something. So then that guy came to my mind. I try not to think about him, honestly. I mean, it's mutual. <laughs> it's honestly mutual. I try not to think about him too much. So as I'm praying, he comes to my mind. Coincidence? I think not. So I start praying for him. Lord, that you would save him, that you would send somebody into his life that just, you know, blah, blah. I'm just praying for him. So I'm at this surf event thing, and I don't see him all night, and I'm so happy about it. (laughs) And then as it, and and it was kind of like one of those, it was like a, you know, there was no lights, and there's loud music, and these screens on, and you couldn't really talk to anybody, interact with people, and then finally at the end of the evening, finally, they turn on the lights, and the first human standing in front of me is him, <laughs> and I, I don't know what overcame me. I just, I just, I, I hugged him. <laughs> I just, I didn't, 
I don't know. I just hugged him, and he was like. <laughs> like, it was the most awkward thing on earth. I felt like such an idiot. I don't even know why I did it, other than I, could, I just was praying that someone, and then I found myself to someone, and he's in front of me. I didn't know what to do or say, so I just hugged him. And then I just, we talked for about 10 minutes, which is the longest conversation we've ever had. And I was as nice to him as I could possibly be. And that's it. He didn't get saved. He didn't ask me about Jesus. I didn't preach the gospel to him. But I felt that because I had been intentionally praying, there was this intentional moment of an open door to just do the kingdom thing of just love and embrace. And so then, you know, I told you the first winter swell came this week. So I spent most of my time down at Rincon the last few days surfing. And I was walking up the beach uh, after catching a wave down. I was walking back up the beach one day. And there's this, this group of surfers. I don't know how to say it diplomatically. There is no way. But they're not, they're not like my group. You know how there's cliques in every group, right? They're not really my group. I'm not really that welcomed in their zone. And we don't run in the same crowds and this and that. And I usually just walk right by them and maybe give them a little... You know, hey, but not, not, not my group. So I felt, as I'm walking up the beach and I saw them, I felt compelled to walk across the beach up to where they are to go over to every one of them one by one and bless them. I felt so stupid. <laughs> like as I'm walking up to them, they're looking at me like, what are you doing? And I didn't know what to say, so I said, uh, Happy swell, happy first swell this season. God bless you. Happy, happy surf, God bless you. And there was like eight of them and I went around to every one of them and like shook their hands and then hung out and talked and, and it was so awkward. But I've walked past them 10,000 times in the last several years. And I think only because of the intentionality of praying that God would send someone to them, and I didn't want it to be me this week, I just felt all of a sudden this like Holy Spirit urge to go up there. So then another time I'm walking up the beach, right, like an hour later, and I see this guy who I haven't seen in years. And since I've seen him last, he has spent years in addiction and all sorts of addiction, gnarly addiction. And he's just, he's just thrashed from that. And so we're talking and we're excited to see each other. And he did what people always do when they see me. Like, he's like, oh, hey, uh, I've been meaning to come to church. (laughs) You know that one? Like, happens to me like 10 times a day around town. (laughs) And it's so awkward because what am I supposed to say? Like, yeah. (laughs) Like, been waiting. Like, I didn't. (laughs) So he said it like, oh, yeah, you know, been meaning to come to church and this and that. And Dude, I just started to just tell him, not, yeah, come to church. I just said, bro, listen to me. Church doesn't matter. You are loved by God. It's not about whether or not you ever come to church. It's about the fact that God has always loved you. And he wants you to know him. And he wants you to forgive you. And he wants to redeem and restore your life. And he's got a plan and a purpose for you. Don't worry about church. You are loved by the creator of the universe. And I felt so stupid. Don't, don't applaud. I felt so stupid again. Because <laughs> I'm like dripping wet in my wetsuit with my surfboard. And there's like people standing around. And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. But you know how I felt when I walked away? Awesome. I felt like for once in my life, I obeyed the Holy Spirit. 
when he was showing me that there was an open door and beckoning me to just walk through it. Nobody got saved. There were no fireworks. Nobody got raised from the dead or healed. Just little things. So, it's weird to ask this question now, but what about your week? I don't mean that. You know how you tell a story and then someone's always like, oh, dude, that's nothing. Wait till you hear this. I don't, whatever your week was like, I don't you feel like I'm saying, oh, that's nothing. But was it, was there any intentionality from the previous week where, where we prayed? And I'm, I'm honestly blown away by the difference of that prayer. I honestly think we prayed and then I prayed a couple more times and like things happen that don't normally happen in my life. And I'm, I, I'm overjoyed by it. So what about this coming week? What if there's a little intentionality where we're saying, like, these guys had to say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to open my eyes, and I'm going to look for open doors, because I believe, God, that you're a missionary God who's always on mission, who by his spirit is working around me and the people I know and around the world and the people that don't know you. So show me open doors. We get that phrase, open doors, from Paul the Apostle. Remember when he talked about open doors in Colossians? He said this. Devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So that's a a consonant prayer with what Jesus was beckoning these guys to do. Be intentional. Go look for open doors. Walk into the open doors. If there's a closed door, no problem. Just walk away and let God deal with it. But, But look for open doors. And do you see how he denotes the same kind of intentionality? Devote yourselves to prayer and be watchful. And then he practices what he preaches. He's like, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm I'm, I'm looking for open doors and I want to be faithful when it comes. Paul was intentional. Like God calls us all to live. I want you to notice this, and here's where we transition, and then we end. But Paul was not only intentional, Paul was also in prison. And Paul was in prison because he lived in a culture very different from ours, and he was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's places around our world in which that's a real situation. It's not here, thank you, Lord. But there are places in which that's real. Remember what Paul said later on in 1 Corinthians? But I'll stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Here's a big idea. Mission always draws opposition. Mission always draws opposition. That was Paul's experience. He was intentional, but he was also in prison. He said, I've got a big open door in Ephesus, but there's also a lot of opposition. Maybe that's why it's hard to live life on mission because it draws fire. And it really does. And it drew a lot of different fire in our text. There was societal or cultural fire that they would draw. There was governmental oppression that they would draw. There was religious oppression that they would get. There's familial fire talking about here, like people and family turning against each other because of the gospel. It's hard for us to imagine those things because it's not usually our culture. But in some way, to the degree that we engage in mission, we will also draw opposition because it really is the collision of two kingdoms. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and Satan, the Prince of darkness. And remember what happens when we're saved? Colossians 1, we are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. 
So whenever we come out of through the repentance of our sins and putting our faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross, whenever we come to him in faith, we come out of Satan's kingdom, so to speak. And now we're in the kingdom of the beloved son, the kingdom of God. And whenever we engage in mission, that's what God is doing. He's looking to save people through proclamation and demonstration. So when we engage in that, we draw fire from the enemy. And it will manifest itself, perhaps societal, familial, governmental, cultural, whatever it is. But we really do draw fire. And so Peter, who was in this crowd that day, who was one of the 12 that was sent, who lived these things out, later on wrote this and said this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, you should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now we hear that. But it's a little bit hard for us to lay hold of practically because there's just not a lot of ways that we suffer in our culture as Christians. Not a whole lot. But there is something very real. I'll get that to, I'll get to you, I'll say it in a second. Do you remember the text when Jesus said, listen, you're going to be rejected, you're going to be flogged, and then he says somewhere about verse 22, and everyone's going to hate you because of me. That, that became radically true for them. All of the disciples, save John, were killed for their proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom of God. Peter was hung upside down on a cross till he died. It was real for them in some way. And, and, and there's brothers and sisters around the world that like literally it can cost them their faith. Like fathers killing kids and turning on each other. Like some people, for them to come out of Islam and put their faith in Jesus Christ, it could very much cost them their life and it will certainly cost them their family. So that's real for a lot of people. We don't really get so much of that in our context. So as we read, oh, if you suffer for the name of Jesus, it's almost like we've got to look for ways. But that's weird. Don't look to suffer. So I've thought about it in my life. What? And so Jesus says to them in response three different times, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. You're precious. You're precious to me. I've got you. Don't be afraid. So I thought about what am I afraid of? What, 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 am I, what am I afraid of? I don't have to worry about governmental, societal, cultural oppression. You know what I worry about? I worry about being rejected by people. So I worry sometimes about like being too overt about my Christianity or talking about the gospel because I'm afraid that people will think I'm stupid. And I find that it happens to me all the time. I'm like a big, brave guy from the stage in a church. But you put me like in a chair in Starbucks one-on-one with someone, and I, I feel real fear when it comes to like communicating the gospel or, or, or even reaching out or even making the phone call. Like, I'm sorry, that's going on in your life. Are you okay? Like, real fear attached to that. And I don't think that that's godly. In fact, Jesus says in our text, don't fear people who can't actually do anything to you, fear God. I find that sometimes in my life, people are bigger in my heart and mind than God is. I'm more afraid of being rejected by them than I am of disobeying a holy and a righteous God. And I repent of that. 
And what helps me come to grips with that? The fact that Jesus said, listen, don't be afraid. I love you. The Father knows when a sparrow falls from its nest. You are far more precious than many sparrows. In fact, I've numbered the hairs upon your head. You know what he's saying there? Our life counts to him. He's redeemed us with the precious blood of his son. Our lives are meaningful to him. And we need to hear that in conjunction with the fact that his glory is bigger than ours, his kingdom more important than ours, his purposes greater than ours. So somewhere between the sense that God's purposes are more important than my own and I am radically loved by God and precious to him, I find meaning in living in intentionality. If I'm going to trudge through this earth for 80 years or so, if God should be so merciful, why not make my life count for God's glory? My remodel, it's going to crumble and burn. All my stuff, it won't last. What we do in the mission of Christ is eternal. May we, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, be faithful as sent ones. Thank you, Lord, for this great love for us revealed in your word. Lord, I'm aware of um, all my shortcomings and my self-absorption and the things you've had me repenting of this week. And it's a real work in process. Thank you, God, for your patience with us in the process. We would say together, we want our lives to count for your glory. We want to live for your purposes. We want to trust you and be intentional. God, open our eyes. Open our eyes like you did that one dude in the Old Testament. He looked around and he saw. He saw in the spiritual realm what you were up to. Help us to see in the spiritual realm what you are doing in your mission around us for your glory and help us to engage. Thank you that you free us from endless preparations and resource. You just say, be available, be present, and you'll use us. Lord, things that are confronting that, teach us to repent today. Teach us to lay down our own lives and kingdoms for your glory and your kingdom. Meet us in fear. Lord, I know that there's been real times in my life where I was just so mad at you. I didn't want to do any of your work. Thank you, God, that you were patient and merciful with me. I pray for the real disappointed ones in this room who feel let down by you. We know, God, in the end, that you, you don't let us down. Sometimes life feels that way. Would you meet them today in your mercy and in your love? Would you lift their heads and comfort their hearts? Would your presence become more real to us? Would our lives be caught up in who you are and what you're doing? Pray this in Jesus' name.